Welcome into another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. I'm Dan Hope, joined by Colin Haas Hill. Going to spend most of this week's episode talking about Ohio State's defense for 2020. Less than two weeks away now from the start of spring practice. We've already previewed all the offensive positions over the last few weeks. Uh, so we're going to try to knock out the defense today and then kind of move into a you know full-scale spring preview uh, next week before spring practices get started on March 2. But It's remarkably soon, it feels like. It does. It, it always sneaks up on you. It uh-huh. always sneaks up on you. And uh, every year I think like it's not going to sneak up on me. And then it proceeds same. to sneak no, up on me. Ab- absolutely. You got the uh, NFL scouting combine coming up next week as well. So I'll be in Indianapolis for that. Of course, Colin uh, following the basketball team. Uh, getting closer to the end of the season and conference tournament, NCAA tournament time. So uh, getting getting to be a busy time again in uh, Ohio State sports, even though uh, we're still over six months away till the start of the next football season. Going to be plenty of stuff happening over the next couple months. Certainly spring football being one of the biggest things among them, and we're going to get into previewing that. But did want to start this week's episode by addressing the big news of the past week because – Uh, That news actually broke shortly after we recorded our podcast last Tuesday. It was actually shortly after I got home from us recording the podcast, ate dinner, and uh, was told that, you know, there was a situation unfolding with Amir Reap and Jocelyn Wint. So started looking into that on Tuesday night and found out that they had been charged with rape and kidnapping by Columbus police and they were arrested late Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning. Ryan Day made the decision to dismiss them from the team on Wednesday. On Thursday, they had their arraignment on charges. Uh, They were both given bond, Amir Reap at $100,000, Jocelyn Wynn at $75,000. They are now out of jail they intend to plead not guilty but will have their preliminary hearing on friday on those charges and obviously the justice process can be something that that takes time so likely something that will unfold over you know a matter of months and something that will continue to follow even though they're no longer ohio state football players because I think it's our duty as journalists to continue to follow a story like this, especially when, you know, dealing with the serious nature of of the allegations that have been made against them. But certainly shocking news, something that came very unexpectedly last week and, and really the first major off-field situation that Ryan Day has had to deal with as head coach because he did have to deal with the Brian Sneed situation a little bit, but that was that was mostly under Urban Meyer's head coaching tenure. He was dismissed from the university while Urban Meyer was still head coach. This is the first time that Day has really had to, you know, make a quick decision about something like this. And he ultimately made the decision to dismiss them from the team, which complex situation because they're still going to have their day in court. They haven't been convicted of anything yet. But 
I think he knew that he needed to act quickly, and I think he made what really was the move that he had to make in this situation. Yeah, he really didn't have a choice. Um, I, I I don't think that we can say, wow, great decision, Ryan Day. I think he made the choice that he sort of had to make. If he didn't make this choice, then we'd be saying, why why wouldn't you make this choice, Ryan? Like, like I think that that's sort of the way that we look at it. Um, when... Like when you read the details of the story, and, and, and there isn't a ton of it, there isn't a ton for us really to talk about with this because, like, it'll all play out in court. Like, what's happened has happened. What will happen will happen. We can't, we can't, there, there's no use speculating on that. Like, all we can say is really, like, you read what's in that, what's in the police report, and it is just like stomach turning. And I know that there is, um, sort of some language in, in the article um, on 11 Warriors right now about just, you know, just sort of heads up about what's coming in the article because it's like it sort of makes your jaw drop um, in a way that you really don't expect. If it's true mm-hmm. what they've been accused of, they're not only going to not be playing college football ever again, they're going to be in prison for a substantial amount of time. Like you said, it is not our job to speculate on how this will play out. I absolutely do not want to get into that. But what they have been accused of is very serious. And, and you think back to, you know, Urban Meyer, one of his big rules that, you know, he, he expressed to the team was violence against women is absolutely not tolerated. And if you do that, you do not have a place on this team. And, you know, this is Ryan Day taking a strong stance against that to say that this will not be tolerated. I do not want this in my program. A remarkably clean first year, really, last year, where he really didn't have to deal with any off-field scandals. But these things are going to happen from time to time. And as, as a head coach, you need to take a strong stance when these type of situations happen. Or you get a reputation, much like I think Urban Meyer had when he was at Florida, you get a reputation of things are allowed to happen in your program and, and, you, and you're fostering a culture where things can happen. Ohio State does not have that right now. Ryan Day does not want Ohio State to have that. And so it, it was necessary for him to take a hardline stance against this. Yep, he did the thing that, that anybody should do, and, um, you know, they'll sort of move on from there. Um, I don't really know that we can even really have a longer discussion on this because it's just it, it's just going to play out. No, I and mean, we know that most of you want to hear us talk about actual football, and, and, and believe me, we don't want to be talking about this. We, if we never had to report on a story like this, we'd be happy because we didn't get into sports journalism to, to, to report on these kind of stories. We, these kind of stories are not fun, but it is our duty as, as journalists to cover these kind of stories and come up. And, you know, we do want this, we do want to be able to talk about these kind of things on our podcast when they come up and certainly feel as though, you know, stories of this magnitude 
are something that we should address. But at the same time, it's not something for us to analyze. It's not something for us to speculate. We try to save that for actual football. So you want to do the impossible transition to actually talking about a little bit of football here? Yes, yes. It It is a difficult transition. But as we said, we, we do want to get into talking about Ohio State's defense for the 2020 season because there's a lot to talk about there. A lot of changes. Going to have, you know, they only have a few returning starters on that side of a ball with you know, Chase Young is gone, Devon Hamilton and Jay Sean Cornell are gone, Malik Harrison's gone, Damon Arnett, Jeff Okuda, Jordan Fuller are gone. So a lot of turnover on that side of a ball and a lot of, a lot of interesting position battles and and different things that need to be sorted out this spring for us to watch. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because you sort of it, it's very different from from what happened on offense. I think I think just largely when you, when you just look at what the offense has, your just eyes immediately go to Justin Fields, and Justin Fields returning is the defensive equivalent of if Chase Young returned, and they just don't have that guy on defense. They don't have that absolute stud. Now you can say Sean Wade, and. For all I know, next year at this time, we're going to be talking about Sean Wade as a top 10 pick. But point being, if he declared for the NFL this year, he wouldn't have been a top 10 pick. They don't really have that stud, and they don't really have um, necessarily the, the depth of experience studs that you sort of look at the offense and you look at Wyatt Davis and, and Josh Myers, that they might be two of the best offensive linemen in the country. I think on defense, you just see a lot of potential and a lot of guys that we've sort of been wondering, like, what can this guy do if he's given a bigger platform? We're going to see that this year. Yeah, I think Sean Wade is a stud. I think it's a, I think I, I'm, I'm going to say that Sean Wade's a stud. I think. That's safe to say. What? Sorry. I probably should have phrased that better. He's not the Chase Young, Justin Fields stud. Like, he's not the guy who I think just changes literally everything about your side, your side of the ball, if that makes sense. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think he is. A I do think it's, and I think his return is absolutely enormous for his defense. Hundred, hundred thousand percent. In yes. part because of who else they're losing in the secondary, and in part because he's a really, really talented player who can do a lot of different things. And I think, I don't think there's any doubt that he is the most important player on their defense going into the season. With, with the lack of mm-hmm. experience they have around him in the secondary, they need him to be a guy. He, he's going to move. We think from that slot corner role to, to playing that outside corner role, and they need him to be this year's version of Jeff Okuda. They really do because they don't. They I, I shouldn't say they don't have that elite pass rusher, but we don't know yet if they're going to have that elite pass rusher of Chase Young's level, and we don't know how well the rest of the secondary is going to play. So it's going to be really pivotal for Sean Wade to be able to be that guy who makes a huge impact on the game at what I would think is one of the most important positions on mm-hmm. the defense. Position by position, you want to start up front a little bit? Because I know we've been doing this in recent weeks, just one by one, knocking them down. I know we got five today. Yeah. Well, the defensive front is going to be interesting because, as we just talked about, they don't have Chase Young anymore. <laughs> yeah. And you just start there, and then you just work your way around that. I, I, I think the – the feeling that most Ohio State fans have, and reasonably so, is that, well, Larry Johnson's the defensive line coach, and he's reloaded year after year. 
so he's just going to do it again. And they have talent. There's no doubt about that. But I also think it's important to keep in perspective that this run they've had from Joey Bosa to Nick Bosa to Chase Young, those are three guys who are absolutely special, special players. Those are the type of players that you typically... You're only supposed to have one of those guys in a generation, and they've had three of them back to back to in, back in five years. And the and the guy and the last guy to do it was arguably the best defensive player in Ohio State history. Yeah, I think at least you can say arguably the best season that a defensive player has had in Ohio State history. So those are enormous shoes to fill, and to me. I think to expect that there will be no drop-off when you lose a player of Chase Young's caliber, to me that's almost an unrealistic expectation. No, I'm not really sure how you could, how you could say that. I think that um, just looking at the defensive ends, I think that when we think of who can be the next Chase Young, your eyes just immediately go to Zach Harrison yep. because he came in as this physical freak that you've known about since he was 15 or 16 years old back when he was like a, a sprinter, a six foot six, 240-pound sprinter, uh, which is a fascinating photo to go back if you want to go back and look at those pictures. Um, but I think he had five sacks last year, and, and he, he, started, um, he started in the Fiesta Bowl which was the last game of the year. And the fact that Larry Johnson actually put him out there to start, I think, tells you a lot about what he thinks of him. But he wasn't Chase Young last year. Like, we'd be totally lying to you if we said um, he was even sophomore Chase Young. Because sophomore Chase Young had 10 and a half sacks without anybody else um, on that defensive front getting consistent pressure the way that he was. Can he be that? I think he can. Will he? Hard to know right now because we haven't even seen him go through spring practice. I think there's I think there's an incredible amount of potential in that body. Absolutely. I think sophomore Zach Harrison is capable of being sophomore Chase Young. I do too. I don't is, I don't think sophomore Zach Harrison is going to be junior Chase Young. Yes. Because And that is a clear distinction. That is the distinction between a great pass rusher and an all time great pass yes, rusher. Yeah, and a a Heisman Trophy finalist unanimous All-American Bronco Nagurski and Chuck Bednarik Award winner. I, that would be a incredible jump for Zach Harrison to make as a second-year player. And I, and I don't think that's a realistic expectation for him. But I do. I do think sophomore Chase Young is well within reach for sophomore Zach Harrison because he does have that similar kind of physical ability like you talked about that size that speed he's that rare kind of physical specimen and i think the way he came along as a freshman is very encouraging because he played a lot more as a freshman than you typically see for a larry johnson defensive lineman and like you said even started in the biggest game of the year so i think that's a big indicator of you know how far along he is and how confident they are in his potential, but I, I still think there's going to be a drop off from Chase Young, and I think I think it's going to have to be more of a committee by approach. Where I think you know last year it was so much just about what Chase Young could do. I, I think Zach Harrison is is the leading candidate 
to kind of make up for what you lost with Chase Young. But I think you also need your other defensive ends, whether that's... Illinit Avador Rice needs to go to the front of the library, apparently. Well, that's not us, but... Uh, I hope she makes it. Beyond, beyond Zach Harrison, I think Tyreek Smith is certainly another guy that you look at who can fill some of that pass rushing void. Jonathan Cooper, of course, you're coming back for another year. You know That's an unexpected benefit that you have, and, and he's going to be a crucial guy, especially you know for being a veteran leader with some experience on that defensive line. And Tyler Friday is another guy who I think will, will play a lot in that rotation. But I think you're going to need multiple guys to step up. It, you, you, you can't put it all on Zach Harrison. Yeah, that's the key. Um, I actually just looked at it. I actually overshot the amount of Zach Harrison sacks. He actually had three and a half, which reminded me, nobody else had more than three and a half sacks who was a defensive end last year, which is remarkable because if you remember during the season, there was all this talk about, well, here's how Chase Young benefits the rest of the team. He gets all the attention, then everyone else gets one-on-ones, and they get to go rush the passer too. That didn't actually really happen on the other side of Chase Young. Zach Harrison had a, had, a, had a solid freshman year, a really good freshman year compared to most freshmen, but compared to the, the average Ohio State starting defensive end, I think it was just solid. Um, Tyreek Smith had three sacks as well. Jonathan Cooper didn't play a ton. I think if you want to look for growth, I think you just have to look for who's going to be surrounding the stud pass rusher. And I think you need both the stud pass rusher and the secondary guys. And last year, Chase Young was so freaking good that you didn't really need a ton from the secondary guys, and they didn't get a ton from them. This year, I think that there, there's a reasonable expectation that Zach Harris can, can be your number one pass rusher. And I think that I'd have questions about wh- who that guy is if it's not Zach. Um, I think Tyreek could maybe be that guy, but we just really haven't seen that from him yet. He's maxed out at three sacks in a season. Um, beyond Beyond those guys, like I, I do think that Tyler Friday now in his third year and Jonathan Cooper in his fifth year, like I think that you just have enough depth right there that that's where the growth can come from and that's where the other pass rushing can come from in a way that maybe you didn't have last year. And they do have really good depth at defensive end. They've got Javante Jean-Baptiste as well, who, who saw some playing time last year. Noah Potter's a guy going into his second year who, who can play. And then you know, you've got some freshmen as well. Uh, Darian Henry Young, Jacoby Cowan, Ty Hamilton all coming in. So they've, they've got a lot of options at defensive end. They've got a, a lot of different guys who could theoretically work into that rotation this year. But I think those, I think that those first four uh, of Jonathan Cooper, Zach Harris, and Tyreek Smith, Tyler Friday, I think that's going to be the core of your rotation. It's really going to be those four guys who really need to step up. And, and I think Coop and Tyreek are, are, are the two guys in particular that I look at as guys who are highly touted recruits, guys who I think have been hyped up for a couple years now. And I think this is the year where you really need to see it from them, where they, they really need to take that next step and become the players that they've been supposed to be. Because I think both of them would, would admit that they haven't quite become the players yet that, that they believe they're capable of being. Yeah, Tyreek Smith is fascinating because when I talk about finding that pass rush you can build around, like Tyreek Smith may be that guy. Like there is a chance. Like he was a top 35 overall recruit who's in his third year. I think 
a decent chunk of the reasoning of, of why he maybe hasn't had that breakout yet is, is injury luck. Um, and if you get over that and if you stay healthy, maybe there's a chance that, that you get to become the, the player that you want to be. Cooper's fascinating to me, though, because if you had asked me, I think if we had this conversation a year ago and we were talking about Jonathan Cooper, I know that you know that I would have said, well, he maybe we know who he is. Maybe we know who he is right now, and, and that's, a, that's a great leader who is really good against the run, who is a fine pass rusher, but who isn't really going to be lighting the world on fire. I think he had maxed out at two and a half sacks. We didn't really see a healthy Jonathan Cooper last year. It will have been well over a year, two years basically, since we had seen a healthy Jonathan Cooper by the time that he actually suits up and plays. He's a little bit of a wild card, and you really never say that about a fifth-year senior who's a two-time captain, which he will be. But I'm not 100% sure what, what they're going to get out of Jonathan Cooper. and may, like, Can he take it to the next level? Can he be like an eight-sack guy? He Maybe. And, and really, that's what they need without Chase Young. They need a couple of these guys to take, take the strides that you had mentioned. They do, and I, I think the same, can, the same is absolutely true at defensive tackle, where you look at that group, you're losing Devon Hamilton, Jay Sean Cornell, and Robert Landers from last year. Without Chase Young, again, those guys just become more important. And I think I think the first guy you look at, if you're looking at a breakout star in that group, I think the guy everybody's going to look at is Tommy Togiai because I think he's a guy who has probably been ready, especially this past year, to be more than the third-string nose tackle, but he's had to wait his turn behind Devon Hamilton and B.B. Landers. But I think he's very capable of being an elite nose tackle, and and now he's going to get that chance to prove it. Yeah, I love watching him. I think when you think of um, the strongest guy on the team, which is now what he's been tabbed for well over a year, you sort of think about this, I don't know, this big, chunky meathead of a guy. Like, Tommy Togia is really quick, and he's he's pretty fast down the field, too. Like, he, he's like a bowling ball, essentially, to me, and, and he's he's fun to watch. I agree. I think his ceiling, his ceiling is pretty high. And the interesting thing about this year is, you know, last year, Devon Hamilton had an amazing season that I really didn't see coming. Um, Robert, Robert Landers is really solid. Tommy, Tommy Togiai was really solid, but they're all rotating. I think Tommy Togiai has a chance to take more snaps than really any of them did last year because I think Antoine Jackson is really the only other guy in the mix who I think is probably going to be rotating with them. The reality is their numbers are a little down right now. They are, yeah. especially at nose tackle. Because they only have six guys on scholarship right now who are for sure defensive tackles, and those are Tommy Togiai, Antoine Jackson, Haskell Garrett, Teron Vincent, Jaron Cage, and Jaden McKenzie. And in terms of guys who have actually seen a lot of playing time, the only two guys who really fit that bill are, are Togiai and Haskell Garrett, who has rotated in at that free technique spot and he could be the starter there. I think Teron Vincent is a guy who we expected to play a big role last year. He tore his labrum and ended up missing the entire season rehabbing that shoulder injury. But he's a guy that they really need to come back strong and to be able to make a big impact at that free tech spot to make up for losing Jay Sean Cornell. Yeah, I think um, when people look at Tommy Togiai and then they look at Teron Vincent and they just see this potential of what they can become, I think people might get a, get a little bit too giddy about what's to come 
and not really appreciate what they what what they had last year. Like I think that that's in play now. There's also the side that like if Tommy Togiai and Teron Vincent just have total breakthroughs, yeah, I think they could be an improvement from last year. But we just got to keep in perspective and, and remember like De- Devon Hamilton is going to be a third or fourth round pick, and to be honest, like. I'd take him pretty high. I thought Devon Hamilton was about as dominant as you could really have from a low-ranked nose tackle who you didn't really think a ton of, who's in his fifth season, and he breaks out that late. And I thought Jayshon Cornell was really solid too. I think that this group has a pretty high ceiling, and I think the floor is a little bit lower than, than what Ohio State had this past year. I absolutely agree. I I, I, I mean, I've nothing against those guys but i think a drop-off is more likely than an improvement this year because i just don't think they have a ton of experience there they don't have a, a ton of proven guys there like i said i think i think tommy togiai is going to be excellent yes i think tron vincent i think tron vincent be can be but he's played i mean i think he played 90 snaps or something as a <laughs> freshman so He's totally unproven, and we're talking about him as a potential starter. Haskell Garrett's another guy who's talented, but a, a, he's another one of those guys like a Jonathan Cooper, Tyreek Smith, where I think now we need to see it. He, he's a guy who's now a senior, and I think he's played okay, but I don't think he's he's really done anything at this point in his Ohio State career. Like, and he was a top 75 If you were going to think of school. what's the most memorable play in Haskell Garrett's career, you, I, I couldn't name one. It, yeah, it, just, it just hasn't happened yet. So he's one of those guys, Antoine Jackson, another one of those guys, but you know, they need to take that next step that those are guys that are going to be top four defensive tackles on this team next year, unless Jerron Cage or Jaden McKenzie makes a big move. So they need guys to step up. We know Larry Johnson wants to be rotating at least two guys at every spot. They really need multiple guys to really step up in a big way, and, and that starts this spring. Mm-hmm. And when I think of when I think of defensive tackle, like how can they be as good or better? I'm not really sure that they can get to that point without Teron Vincent being who we think Teron Vincent might be able yeah, to be. I, I agree. I think he's really the swing guy in this room. Like if Teron Vincent, if if he is, if he if the injury still is bothering him a little bit, if Physically, he isn't where he wants to be in his third year, which is really important for someone on the line. And that's something that we just don't really know right now because we haven't seen him on the field. Like, if these are things that are holding him back, I'm not I'm not 100% sure that, that the defensive tackles will, will take a step forward this year. And I also think this spring, one of the things that you're going to be evaluating is Larry Johnson is if those defensive tackles aren't where they need to be, then who can you move inside from defensive end? Because they've got a lot more numbers at defensive end. You know, I think you look at the freshmen who just arrived. I think Darian Henry Young and Jacoby Cowan are both guys who could potentially end up at defensive tackle if they need them there. I mean, even a guy like Tyler Friday is big enough where you could theoretically put a little weight on him and move him into that free technique spot, kind of like Jay Sean Cornell moved back and forth. So I think that's something that you have to look at as well. I think you're going to enter spring playing those guys at whatever positions you think are best for them. But I think you have to, you know, maybe experiment a little bit and look at where there's guys you can kick inside to beef up that interior depth a little bit. Yeah, I think one thing I'd mentioned too um, is last year the Rushman package didn't die, but the Rushman package changed. And there weren't a lot of packages where there's four defensive ends on the field. 
I think that this year you're going to see the Rushman package return in a big way. I completely agree. Because you've got Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith, and Jonathan Cooper, all of whom I think are going to be on that package. And I think Tyler Friday, like you said, he's got a defensive tackle-esque body in the same way that Ty- the, that Taekwon Lewis did. I remember he told me that he used to be called Baby Taekwon back when he was a, when he was getting recruited. Yeah, I, I, I think it'll be more like it was a few years ago. I think there yep. will be packages where those four defensive ends are all on the field together. Yep, I think I think that'll be the case. And they're all big enough guys where they we we've seen them all line up inside at times. So they can all it's not like two of them have to play defensive tackle in that package. They're all versatile enough guys where you can move them around in that package and they can each play the different roles in that rushman package. All right, before we move on, do you want to hit on each of those two positions, who's the one guy who you're most interested to see in the 12 minutes of spring practice that we watch? Sure. I mean, I got to go with Zach Harrison at defensive end because, you know, we talked about, you know, his upside. Can he take that next step to become that superstar this year? I mean, he, my eyes are absolutely going to be on him in this spring. Yeah, I'm absolutely fascinated with him and, and the other two um Tyreek Smith and Jonathan Cooper, but to to pick one of those guys, I will say Jonathan Cooper because I just think he's a little. I, I think there's a chance that he's different than the guy that we saw last time. He, he was really healthy on the field when we saw him in his in his junior year at Ohio State, which will be back in 2018. Which by the time that he plays in 2020 is going to feel like a lifetime ago. And defensive tackle for the same reasons I picked Zach Harrison, I will say Tommy Togiai because I do I think he has. He has the ability to be an elite player at that nose tackle position, and now that he's going to be on the first-team defensive line, I'm intrigued to see what kind of player he can be this year. Reasonable. I'm going to go with uh, Teron Vincent just because I think he's the swing guy there. Like I think he could make them better than last year, and I think if he maybe isn't the guy who you hope that he becomes, then I think that they're probably going to be worse than they were last year at the position. Moving forward to the linebacker position, I think if you just look at the list of names – to me, I think I think this is probably the deepest position on the entire team. You've got a lot of different guys who can play at this position. And that starts with Tuff Borland and Pete Werner, both now third-year starters at this point. I'd fully expect that Tuff Borland will be a starting middle linebacker this year. Pete Werner will be a starting Sam linebacker this year. Baron Browning, he's also played a lot the last couple years. My guess is he will move out to weak side linebacker and and take Malik Harrison's spot in the starting lineup. But you've also got a lot of other guys that are pushing too. You've got three junior linebackers in, in Taraja Mitchell, Dallas Gantt, and Kayvon Pope, who I think are ready for more playing time and are, and are guys that you need to look at. How do you get them on the field this year? You've got Justin Hilliard, who's back for a six-year of eligibility, and we saw him you know, play some significant snaps last year in there four linebacker packages and then you've even got young guys like like Craig Young who who burned his red shirt last year which indicates that Ohio State thinks he's a guy who can potentially play early yeah it is a packed group where I think I I think the a reasonable wonder is all right where's their star linebacker gonna be like who's gonna be the really good impact guy um I hope this uh they're not coming for us (laughs) these sirens all right Fast, we're good. Um, I, I wonder who's going to be like the stud out of this group because I think there's a lot of frontline depth, a lot of a lot of veteran depth, like an incredible otherworldly amount of veteran depth where they have, I think they have one, two, three, four, five, six. They have seven upperclassmen linebackers, and 
I think last year at this time we were wondering if they were going to have two linebacker positions. Turns out they, they, they're, they're going to largely play three linebackers. But I think my main wonder is, how in the world are they going to keep everybody happy and on the field? And are they going to do more rotating than last year? How do you necessarily do that with this many guys? I don't know. I, I think this is one of the more interesting groups for, for at least spring practice on the team. Yeah, it's a really interesting balance to strike. Because your first question is very valid. Do they have a Malik Harrison in this group? I don't know. I don't know if they do this year. I Baron Browning has tons of potential, but he still hasn't quite played up to that five-star ability. So for me to say that you know he's going to not only replace Malik Harrison, but be the same level of player, I, I, I'm not quite there. You know, if I were to predict who's the guy who's going to play the most snaps at linebacker this year, I'd predict Pete Warner because I think he's a guy that they really have a lot of trust in. And we saw it last year. Pete Warner basically killed the bullet because they wanted him on the field in passing situations. So I I think Pete Warner's going to be a mainstay on the field at that Sam linebacker position unless someone really comes along at that bullet position, but I think that would be more somebody who groups in with the safeties right now. If they were to do that, then it would be another linebacker. I think at middle linebacker, they're probably still going to want to rotate with Tuff, even if Baron Browning moves to Will. Taraja Mitchell is certainly a guy that I think people are excited to see play, and I I, I think there's a very good chance that, that Baron moves outside to Will. I shouldn't even really say outside because they're basically both inside linebacker positions in Greg Madison's defense. So uh, they're similar positions. That's why he can make that move. But I think if Barron makes that move, you'd expect to see Taraja work in there in a rotation with Tough. And then if that will spot as well, you've got Dallas Gant, who's another guy who I think is ready for more playing time. Kayvon Pope is a guy who made some big plays when he was on the field last year. And you don't want to forget about him. So They've got a lot of different options. They didn't seem to be overly inclined to, to rotate at the Will and Sam spots last year, but they certainly have the guys to do it if it's something they want to explore. Yeah, it's a good point by you that last year they, they had the chance to rotate, and they just didn't. And it, and it makes you wonder, was it because Al Washington didn't want to rotate his linebackers, or was it because the linebackers weren't ready to rotate? And that's hard for us to really know because we're not in there and, and Al Washington will never say uh, these guys aren't good enough to play. <laughs> that's, that would be a bad decision on his part. Yes, He's not going to ever do that. Um, but um, I think just position by position. So at Sam, Pete Warner is about the number one lock that we have at this group that Pete Warner is going to start. He's going to play the most. And he's really not going to come off the field because the, they, they really love him. They do. They, they, they love him in a way in which uh, he essentially killed the bullet last year. And I, and I don't know what their plans are necessarily with the bullet. And, and I think that's an interesting discussion that we've had and will continue to have because it's a fascinating one of what, what in the world they're going to do with that position. But he's going to play a ton. Middle linebacker, I know Tuff Borland's a, a much maligned uh, player. I know people like to criticize him online, the internet commenters. Not, not, not big People tough. are critical online, Colin? Yeah, I know. Wow. This, is, this, this might be a shock. Wow, I can't believe it. Yeah. Um, he's going to start at, he's gonna start at Mike. I agree with you that I don't think, I don't see the, the Baron Browning, Tough Borland combination going forward much more. Like, I think, I think, 
I think Baron Browning is going to get a chance to start, and I think that that chance is going to come at weak side linebacker because Tough Borland's the guy at Mike. He's going to be a three-time captain, the second ever. In and I think if Baron doesn't start this year, that's a disappointment because this is a five-star recruit. This is a guy who is supposed to be a superstar. So as a senior – that's a guy you want in your starting lineup, not as a rotational player. Yeah, out of high school, you imagine that he he's in the same Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, Sean Wade type of um, stardom, becoming a first-round pick, and he has those physical gifts. I think when you see him on the field, I think maybe a little bit too often you see him out of position. And I just wonder, like, a guy with those physical gifts, you just got to do something with them. And if it's starting at – Will, if it's just putting him in certain packages, if it's rushing him more, if it's putting him at defensive end, I'm not sure exactly how you do it, but I think you just got to get him on the field somehow, some way. Yeah, and I think he was absolutely at his best last year when he was playing downhill. I think when he's yes. put in positions to blitz, I think he's a fantastic blitzer. I think he's you know really, really good at making plays around the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I think he's still shaky in coverage. Um, you know, I, I think when he's in space, I, I think he can make mistakes. And so that's why I don't I don't know that I see him as an every down player like Malik Harrison was. I I, I think there's a, a step in his development that needs to happen for that to happen. And I don't know that it needs to happen because they have so many other guys that I don't I don't I don't think you need to force your starters into being every down guys if, if that's not what they are. But I, I would expect Barron's role to increase. I, I, I think I, I think you know he Again, if he's not a starter this year, that would be a disappointment. And I think he has a chance to, you know, maybe play the second most snaps at linebacker this year. Yeah, and continue on the on the middle linebacker thing. So there's Tough Borland. He's going to start. My question is, if it's not Baron Browning, who's going to be the guy they're rotating with him or backing him up? I mean, the guy who immediately comes to mind is Taraj Mitchell. Yeah. He was a former top 50 recruit. My question there, though, is, is he just too similar to Tough Borland? On the field, did, did they play? I mean, the, the interesting thing about Tough Borland and Baron Browning is that they're pretty different players. Like Baron Browning, when you think of him, he's a physical marvel. He is super fast. He's super big. When you think of Tough, he's more the old school Big Ten linebacker. Maybe a little bit slower, but like they always say, he gets the defense set up. He gets he puts people where they need to be. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good question. We we saw it last year where Tough and Baron would rotate and where they basically played the same role on early downs but when they moved into their passing packages tough was almost never on the field they would in yep. baron's role in those nickel packages was different than any role that tough played so i don't necessarily know that my thinking would be that you know if, if you're in a, a a nickel package and i if you're in a nickel package Baron and Pete are probably going to be your linebackers on the field in mm-hmm. those situations. I, I, I think Tuff and Taraja can and probably will rotate in that base defense. You know, I think if you're if you're looking for another guy for those, you know, maybe those free free five packages where Baron was typically the guy alongside Malik and Pete in passing situations, maybe that's where Dallas Gantt comes in. Maybe that's where Kayvon Pope comes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of versatility here. Um, and I also think there's enough difference in, in a lot of these guys that when I ask the question of, like, who's going to replace uh, or who's going to rotate with, with Tuff, I think 
I ask it because I'm not really sure. Like, I think the obvious answer is Taraja Mitchell. But then I wonder, like you said, situationally, like Baron Browning might be that guy who still comes in and plays middle linebacker in passing situations. But on first and second down, are you really going to rotate a middle linebacker? I'm not 100% sure on that. And I think that that's where Taraja Mitchell, like this is an important spring for him to just get his foot in the door. I, I know last year he had a little bit of injuries um, that were holding him back. Um, third year now, he's going to be a junior. And I think it's unfortunate for all these guys that Ohio couldn't have recruited all three of these guys with the idea that they'd all be sitting on the bench. And really, like I think you can partially say it, like they could overtake the guy in front of them. But I think they also maybe imagined, I don't know, a Baron Browning would be gone. Something like that. They might have not imagined that, that Tough Borland would become a starter so early in his career. And all of a sudden, they're left with seven guys. We haven't even talked about Justin Hilliard, really. Yeah, and one of the questions we were asked this week by Grand Lake Salina was, any chance that one of one or more of the to-be-true junior linebackers, those being Taraja Mitchell, Dallas Gant, Kayvon Pope, redshirt this year and you've know, had a question that you know we had talked about a little bit last year i think and you know wondered if that was something that should have happened and to me i think you look in hindsight and you think man when these guys were true freshmen yeah. you probably should have redshirted a yep. couple of them because they didn't play much then they mostly just played on special teams and you you burned a year of eligibility that I think you know those guys would probably benefit from having now. Do I think it will happen this year though? I I would guess no because I think I think especially a guy like Taraja. You look at it last year, he was hurt. He missed a bunch of games before he had played four games. If they were going to redshirt him, that was their prime opportunity to do it, and they didn't do it. So I'd be surprised. I do think all those guys are going to play this year. And, and you know, and I, and I think they are important, you know, parts of the depth chart and rotation. So, un- unless one of them, you know, suffers an injury that takes them out for the year, I'd be surprised if any of them redshirted. Yeah, you so rarely see that this late in a career. I do think it is like I think you mentioned the the roster. I think the roster was mishandled in that sense, where like they didn't need to play all those guys when they were freshmen. Um, this they is, really only played on special teams. Yeah, this is one more thing that you can blame Billy Davis for, I guess. Back, uh, all the way in 2020, you can go blame Billy Davis. Congratulations, everybody. Um, but you really can because if, if one of these guys is a redshirt sophomore, like one, I think you'd feel a lot more confident about maybe where they're going to be in two years. Like the fact that they would have them on the, uh, to, on the depth chart down the line. And, and I think right now it's – it's great for them right now to be so top heavy because they got a billion options. Like if, if they really screw this one up, it would be hard to fathom because if 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 three of seven guys, if you can't put three of seven guys on the field, I'm not I'm not sure what you're doing. Um, but they, they they made a mistake along the way, um, and I think that if you look at what they did last year with Tommy Eichenberg and Craig Young, I think that shows you what you can do um, correctly, which is Craig Young they thought was further along and also healthy, and uh, they didn't redshirt him, and they redshirted Tommy Eichenberg, who I think maybe they think will be here for four, maybe five years, and they want that option at least. I think that's just the smart way to re- manage a roster. Roster. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's. 
And, and we have seen, I, I think Ryan Day did a conscious effort to do that last year. If you just look at the roster in general, like we saw it at running back as yep, well. Running back. Crowley didn't redshirt, but Steel Chambers did uh, on the offensive line. Harry Miller and Dewan Jones didn't redshirt, but Enoch Vamahi, Ryan Jacoby did. So I, I think you saw that last year where they tried to be strategic about, okay, you know, maybe the guy, because I, I think I think it is good to balance it that way. Yep. Because I think you don't necessarily want to redshirt everybody, because when you redshirt everybody, that's when you get into these situations where all of a sudden you've got a logjam at a position. So I don't think you want, always want to redshirt everybody, but I also think it makes sense to redshirt some people instead of just, especially when it's a, I mean, if I remember correctly off the top of my head in front of me, I think Dallas Gantt played like six snaps as a freshman. I think Taraja played like two. So, yeah. I mean. It, it's remarkable that the, none of them redshirted. And they, they each played like 10 games on kickoff coverage, which sure, they contribute in that area, but they did not get enough value out of those guys to now where you're looking at it where, now, Again, granted, if, if I'm predicting who Ohio State's starting linebackers will be in 2021 right now, I would say Taraja Mitchell, Dallas Gantt, and Kayvon Poe. But we're looking at a reality for those three guys where they might all potentially really only have one year to really get to show what they can do. Yeah, it, which is sort of crazy when you think about it. I know Ryan Day had maybe a few weeks ago talked about the importance of fifth-year seniors in the program. Like this is what they have this year. And then what they won't have in 2022, which is a crazy thing to say that we have to talk about 2022. But, like, let's be honest. They're talking about 2022 within the building. Like, they're thinking about, like, how will we look down the line? How do we keep Ohio State where Ohio State should be? Like, so we have to think about that, too. And, no, I don't think they're going to redshirt any of these three juniors right now unless, like you said, an injury happens, which is unfortunate for them because, like, right now – Unless unless uh, one of them wows and, and becomes maybe the starter at will, I think likely they'll at, at, at most be, be one-year starters. And they do have some young talent coming up behind those guys. You know, again, I think you know I think that top seven are the guys who are going to play the most this year. They yep. got some. If you look at the future, you know they have guys who just came in this year: Cody Simon, Mitchell Melton, Court Williams. So you know they're going to have some talent behind those guys. I don't think they're in a you know, dire situation by any means if they don't redshirt those guys this year. But I, you know, I do think for their sake, it, you know, it's they they've just kind of been put in a tough position where, you know, they've been stuck behind guys that are just one year older than them, and they've had to wait their turn. Mm-hmm. Um, Silver Sniper asks, any inside info on Cade Stover moving to tight end? No, I mean we we, we mentioned this last week. I I know that it it is being rumored out there. I. I uh, I tried to get more information on it, really haven't. So we'll find out when spring practices starts, whether he's... I mean, this is a guy who started at linebacker, had moved to defensive end for the end of last season, and now rumor has it he might be moving to tight end. So we'll see what happens with him. Um, I don't think he'll be a linebacker. I think he's ever going to be a defensive end or at tight end. But uh, I don't have a whole lot there. I mean... I think he's a guy, considering how much he's moved around at this point, that you know he's probably not a guy who's in line to play a lot in 2020. I would think. I think he's a guy who's probably going to be uh, developing for another year. And I, and I would, I to be honest, a year ago I wouldn't have said that. A year ago I thought he was a guy who might come in and be more of an early impact guy. And you know, that's just the way it goes sometimes. Uh, we'll get into it when we talk about cornerbacks in a sec with Tyreek Johnson being one of those guys who I think came in as. 
people thought he'd be an early impact guy and now he's going into his third year and we're still kind of waiting to see what he can be but uh, I think Cade Stover is a guy that you know they, they might not know yet they, they, they might still kind of be working through where exactly he's going to end up uh, but we'll we'll start to get a little more clarity in a couple weeks yeah I think it's um, I think the one thing to mention there is I think it's important for him by the time the season yes. starts to get a position because you're going to get spring. I think yeah, this spring. I think this spring he's got to get one because, you know, you just sort of get lost in the shuffle the longer you're around. And I think at tight end, maybe if he becomes a tight end, which I know has been the rumor, um, I think that there's more time given. I think that you, you maybe have more time to develop there. Um, but especially if he moves to defensive end, like if he sticks there, I think you just got to – you, I, I don't think you can waste any time with your development, especially because the way that he was talking to me when I was talking to him um, before the Fiesta Bowl, it's like he felt really raw there still. Um, and if he's moving again, he's going to feel really raw in another position. And it's like you just got to stop at some point and you just got to keep him out of position. And I know um, – I don't know. I think I think he's an interesting case because, like you said, he came in. I, I thought maybe he – I don't know. Could push for some playing time. Push at least not to at least not to redshirt immediately. The good news of him is he did he did redshirt last year, so they, yes. he does yeah. still have four years eligibility. I think he's a really physically gifted guy, so I, I I think he's somebody that in due time, whatever position he ends up at, could be an impact player for the Buckeyes. But I, I think at this point, we're probably looking more toward twenty twenty one with him than we are with twenty twenty. In the thirteen back. seconds of spring practice, who are you gonna keep your eyes on? Man, there's so many options. There are. Linebacker, but I'll go with Taraja Mitchell because that's a guy that I think we've really been excited to see for a couple years now, kind of expecting him to to break out and, and have a chance to make an impact in that linebacker room. And, you know, we'll see if that door opens up for him this year. But I, I, I think it could. So that's a guy wearing a new number, number three this year. Interested to see what he can do. Yeah, I'll go with Baron Browning um, just because – Last opportunity for a guy who came in and we thought maybe could be a top 10 pick down the line as a linebacker and really just hasn't developed into the guy I think that we think he can be. Will he get there? I don't know. The spring's going to be big to have that first step and maybe even secure a starting job. Speaking of new numbers, all is right in the world. Seven Banks is finally wearing number seven. Thank God. This took way too long. And speaking of Seven Banks, he's going to be a very important player this year because we talked about it before about that secondary. And Sean Wade, we've talked enough about him. There's no doubt he is the most important player in that entire secondary. But with the style of defense that they want to play, with three cornerbacks and only one deep safety, they need at least two more cornerbacks to really step up in a big way and you know be able to to handle starting roles this year and I I think Seven Banks and Cam Brown are the first two guys you look at at least at that other outside spot as as guys who seem to be on a trajectory going into their third years of guys who could be ready to either both start this year or because we know Kerry Combs wants to rotate, I could see it being a situation where, I, as much as Kerry Combs likes to rotate, I, I really don't think Sean Wade's ever coming off the field this year. I think he's too good, and I think 
you're, you're too inexperienced around him to really ever take Sean Wade off the field. But I could definitely see a situation where Seven and Cam split snaps at that other outside cornerback spot. Yep, I think that's in play. Um, they're really interesting to me because they weren't really the five-star guys that, that Sean Wade and Jeff Okuda were. But they're now guys that we've heard about for, for, for maybe a year or two. Um, I know probably a full year for Seven Banks and maybe like six months or so for Cam Brown of like these guys are coming on. And these guys, the light bulb's clicking a little bit and they've got a lot of physical talent and maybe they can be really good and maybe even great. And I think that I, I know personally, I've been pretty impressed by both of them in late game situations. Big caveat there, late game situations are all a heck of a lot different than what they'll face. Um, maybe not in the Big Ten where I'm not sure that you're going to look down the line and say, wow, these are just some incredible receivers. But at least later in the season when you get against, um, when you get into the championship season. Yeah, I mean, that's... It's it's a difference. It's a it's a we did we did see especially Cam. There were times with of Arnett, you know, being in and out of his wrist injury. We yep. we we did see him play some significant snaps. So they have they both thrown, played more than two hundred snaps. Yeah, they snap. have been thrown into a fire a little bit. It's not like they've only played in mop up duty, but there's still a big difference between doing that once in a while and and doing it every snap every game. So. You know, I, I think those guys are talented. Like you said, I don't know Fair Jeff Okuda. I don't know Fair Damon Arnett. There's there's a leap that has to be made there going into their third years. And and so, you know, those are gonna be two, you know, really important guys, I think, this spring. You talk about five star guys, that brings us to Tyree Johnson, who's a guy who I think his first two years at Ohio State really haven't quite gone the way that anyone expected. I think I think his development has been a little bit slower than expected and and I do think that even though he was more highly touted recruit in his class than Seven Banks and Cam Brown I think those guys have pulled ahead of him with that being said the door is now wide open for Tyreek Johnson if he can put it all together to come in and challenge for a starting spot this year yeah um I think the one of the most interesting parts about um, this this defense this spring is going to be the nickelback, the slot cornerback, and how they're going to work that without Sean Wade being that guy. And I think maybe even you imagine, like in a perfect world, like if 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 you weren't bringing Sean Wade back with the contingency that he moves outside, I think in a perfect world they might like they might love to keep him in the slot, but they're not going to. That's not the plan. That won't happen. So I think I think there I I I, I do think. There could potentially be situations. Yes, I think situationally he could. I, I, I think I think it was communicated to him that if you come back, you're going to get a chance to play outside. I think he wants that for his NFL stock, and I, and I think, you know, that's it's a caveat you're willing to make too. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and I think he can be a dominant player at that position, so I don't think that's a bad move. But um, I do I do think there could be situations where you ask him to move back inside to the slide. And, and you know, we saw that before. I mean, we saw, you know, Denzel Ward, he, he when he was the top corner, he'd still play in the slot sometimes. You know, moving a guy to a slot is not a demotion. There's, I think there's situations where putting him, especially, you know, if you, you're playing against a team that has a really good slot receiver or something, I think there might be situations where you, you, you do need to put him back in the slot, but it's not going to be an every, every snap kind of deal like it was last year. Yeah, and the every snap um, – nickelback slot cornerback 
not 100% sure who it could be. And legitimately, it could be really anybody. Like if you want to make the case that, all right, so they're going to play Sean Wade on the outside and, I don't know, Cam Brown or Seven Banks, one of those two guys also starts on the outside, you could make a case, well, the other guy maybe should start in the slot. And I think that's reasonable. I think that's a reasonable possibility. The other interesting possibilities are, are like the main ones are, are Tyreek Johnson and, and Marcus Williamson. And it's just two guys who we just haven't seen a lot of yet. And I think that both should make people a little bit nervous and a little bit intrigued. Like, what do they even really have in these guys? Which is remarkable because Marcus Williamson's a local guy who is a pretty highly ranked four-star prospect who went to IMG Academy and really hasn't done much and is about to be a senior, the only the, the only senior, um, true senior in the group. Um, and... Tyree Johnson came in as a five-star prospect and really just hasn't done much in his first two years. Yeah, I think Marcus Williamson's going to get a shot. I mean, remember, he was a guy who was recruited by Kerry Combs and was actually coached by Kerry Combs for a year before Combs went to the Titans. So I think he's got a shot at that slot cornerback position. I mean, mean, obviously, the the elephant in the room here, and then we can address it, is Amir Reap was probably going to be the slot cornerback. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for the situation that happened off field, so you know that that's an adjustment they have to make, and it, it, it does in, increase the level of uncertainty in that secondary going into this spring. But I do think it's an opportunity for a guy like Marcus Williamson to that you know he has a chance to seize. Where you know again a guy who who has been buried on the depth chart, I think battled some injuries as well in his Ohio State career, but. He's going to have that chance. All these guys are going to have that chance this spring because they're they're certainly going to be rotating guys in and out all spring long trying to figure out who's ready to step up and be a starter. Yeah, and the question I have too is what is Kerry Combs going to look for in a slot cornerback? Because if you think about Tyreek Johnson, Marcus Williamson, not a lot of similarities there. Like Marcus Williamson is is 5'10", 185 He's a smaller guy, quicker guy maybe. Tyreek Johnson, background is a safety, 6'1", maybe closer to 200 pounds. Yeah, Marcus Williamson is more of your traditional slot corner, mm-hmm. the kind of body type and, and quickness that you look at. More Denzel Ward than Sean Wade, even though they both right. had success there, which is why I'm not 100% sure what they're going right, to look Right, because really. Sean Wade doesn't necessarily fit the traditional profile of a not slot corner, yet yeah. he was phenomenal at that spot last He's year. He's basically the same size as Tyreek Johnson. Right. <laughs> they even came from the same high school. Yes. So, yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think that's one we don't exactly know the answer to. I think we also, as much as Ohio State has preached that they want to keep the same style of defense, we don't really know if they're going to to play three cornerbacks every snap like they did last year. Because I, I, I do think, it, it, while the coaches absolutely – you know, want us want us to believe that it's a it's a philosophical decision there, and I and I, and I I'm not saying it isn't because I think it is, but I also think a big big reason why they they had three cornerbacks in the field almost every play this year is because they had three cornerbacks who belonged on the field every single play. I mean, Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett, and Sean Wade. Two of those guys are about to be early round NFL draft picks, and one of them could have been. So. They needed, when you talk about having your best 11 on the field, those three were undoubtedly among your best 11 last year. You had to get them on the field. This year, I think it's probably pretty likely that you're not going to have free cornerbacks in your best 11. And so I, I think because of that, you might have to adjust 
and you might have to use more two safety packages or, or you might have to do some different things just depending on on who emerges yeah i think there are probably like four or five reasons why they wouldn't use three cornerbacks as much like you can just go down the line of well one they had three guys who were basically playing at a first round level um at cornerback which is remarkable two they had a guy in Sean Wade who was both really quick and really physical at the slot, and it sort of allowed them to do a lot of things that I think if you don't have a guy like Sean Wade, you just can't do. Three, you have Chase Young, and Chase Young just lets you get away with stuff, and including that. Four, I think Jordan Fuller as a tackler is something that they're just not going to have next year. And I know I asked Kyle Jones this a, a few weeks ago because I think it's really interesting. In, the, in this package, and if you do the one deep safety look, it's really one-on-one -on -one if a guy breaks through the first two levels and gets to the third level. It's that last safety versus whoever um, is going to get tackled. When it was Trevor Lawrence, Josh Proctor couldn't bring him down. If Josh Proctor can't bring guys down with, like, 95-degree consistency, I'm not really sure how you can play this, this three-corner look nearly as much as he did last year with, with only one deep safety. Yeah, I think that's a really good and important point because – that middle safety, Jeff Halfley called it the eraser. That guy has to be rock solid on the back end. And if if he's not, putting a guy in that position could potentially be very dangerous for the defense. And I hate to define a guy by one play, but the reality is until this season starts, the play that people are going to remember so far from Josh Proctor's career is him getting juked out by Trevor Lawrence. And that's going to give people qualms about him being that middle safety, that one middle safety. I think Josh Proctor has a ton of talent, and I think he has a potential to be a star. But Jordan Fuller was – and Jordan Fuller, honestly, was probably the most underrated guy on the defense last year because he was just so rock solid on that back end. And I, I think the corners got more attention because they made more big plays. But you know that role that Jordan Fuller played is so important on the defense. And, and, and he's basically the opposite of what Josh Proctor is. Like, he was sort of the safe guy in the back, back who was never going to really make any mental errors. He was always going to make the tackle. He wasn't really the ball-hawking guy. Josh Proctor is, like, compared to Malik Harrison. Like, he's a crazy person back there. Like, I think he's the kind of guy who, in, a, in the perfect season, when you imagine what Josh Proctor can be, it's like a six, seven interception season. Like, you think of 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 – the f you've, you've just heard his name compared to um, Malik, Malik Hooker enough times that it's like, all right, now I've just, I just have high expectations for him as a ball hawk in a way I didn't really have for Jordan Fuller. But the role fit Jordan Fuller perfectly. And I just wonder, this specific role, like how easy it to, is it to fit what Josh Proctor does well into it? I don't, you, and I, I don't know that right now. You bring up Malik Hooker. I think, I think Marcus Hooker is another guy who's going to push for playing time at that safety spot this year and I, I do think we're going to see more two safety looks this year I, I think Proctor and Hooker are the two lead guys to play those roles and and I, I do I think for the multitude of reasons that you brought up I, I do think they're going to mix in more two safety looks do I think it's going to go back to being their base no I think I think they do really believe in the the three deep zone coverage that you know they played so much last year i think they still want that to be their base and it, and i i think they have confidence that you know proctor's going to step up or hooker's going to step up at safety that 
Brown or Banks or Johnson or Williamson are going to step up at corner and allow them to continue to play that same defense. But I, I do think they're going to need to mix in some different looks this year just because I don't – I mean, I, I, mean, I think to, to not I, – I know BIA, no drop-off is Ohio State's motto. But realistically, to lose three guys as good as Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett and Jordan Fuller and not have any drop-off, I, I don't think that's realistic. I, I, I think – I couldn't I, imagine the secondary yeah. being as good. No, I, I think <laughs> I think there's going to be some more lapses on the back end this year. And what you got to hope is that you are able to work through those by the time you get to December and you might be playing Clemson or Alabama or someone like that in the college football playoff. Because I think against most teams, your secondary is going to be fine. I think you get to those elite teams, I don't know if the secondary is going to be fine. I think – I mean, I, I've said it before. I think secondary is – by far the biggest question on this team. I think especially with what happened this past week, I think secondary is by far the biggest question mark on this entire team. And uh, it's a good thing you have Kerry Combs because there's not many other guys that you would want coaching a secondary through that than Kerry Combs. And I think that's a reason to have confidence that they're going to make it through. But I do think there's going to be some growing pains for that group. And I think there are a ton of question marks that have to be answered this spring. Yeah, I should mention, too, that like the way I see it is it's just sort of totally the opposite of the linebacker situation in that you know they've got seven linebackers that can play all kinds of different positions, and they can throw all kinds of different packages. At, in the in the secondary, like I think the reason why you would not play as many three-cornerback three packages – is to get a second safety on the field. But my question would be, who's that second safety? Like, could it be Marcus Hooker? Sure, but why should I have more confidence in Marcus Hooker than I would in a third cornerback? I'm not I'm not totally sure. I just think there's a lot of uncertainty at both sec- at both safety and cornerback. That, like, you can see some of the potential there, but there's not a lot of experience at those positions. And this is and this is once again like why even just having Sean Wade in the room is really huge yeah i mean can you imagine like the level of concern right now <laughs> if sean wade wasn't no back no this position would be a total mess yeah, i think they'd be in enormous trouble if sean wade wasn't back mm-hmm. yeah no he is he's he's huge all right so we'll let you lead off this time cornerback safety whichever one you want to start with who's the guy that you're most intrigued by going into this spring i'll just start with safety because it's, to me it's just i'm just going to take the obvious pick um Josh Proctor is 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 my guy because we've known for a while that Josh Proctor is going to start. What 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 kind of starter is he going to be though? Like how good can Josh Proctor be? Do we get a sense of that in the spring? I don't really know, but I'm just interested to see him out there with the first team defense and what it looks like and and what people are pe- people are saying about him. Yeah, I mean, I think I could, I could definitely say Marcus Hooker here because I I do think that he's going to play significant snaps this year and I think he is a guy that they need to be ready to play but another guy I don't know if he's a safety or linebacker or whatever but he's listed as a safety so I'll go ahead and use him here I'm really interested to see where Court Williams lines up I don't think he's a guy that's going to play a lot this year but we talked about the bullet this is a guy who was recruited to be a bullet and we don't really know if that position exists so I'm interested to see is he practicing with the safeties is he practicing with the linebackers where are they using him? Because he's a guy, I don't necessarily know that he's going to play a lot in, in 2020, but I think he's a guy that has the potential to be very important to their future. Yeah, I have literally no idea how they're going to use him, which is what makes him so interesting. Um, at cornerback, I'll, I'll leave Tyreek Johnson to you 
because I just imagine that that's going to be your guy. Um, I'm going to say Marcus Williamson because I have literally no idea what to expect from him. I can't say I've remembered uh, a single play of his that, that I've seen on the field. I can't really say I know this is what he's really good at. He's been pretty silent since he's been here. Um, and I've been covering the team his whole career, and I just don't really know much about him. I want to learn something about him because this guy really might – he might start this year, and I don't really know anything about him. Yeah, I mean, Tyreek Johnson's certainly an intriguing guy because he's he's been so, you know – hyped up and he and he's a guy he, he's easily in the top five of guys that readers ask us what What's have up? we heard about him and i'm sure that will be coming again in a couple of weeks because uh so we'll i'll we'll definitely be watching him for that reason because we know you guys are going to ask about him so we'll, we're definitely going to watch him uh to make sure that we're prepared to answer that question for you but i mean really all those guys man i mean seven banks cam brown i mean those are i mean my guess would be that i that Seven Banks and Cam Brown are going to play more than Tyree Johnson in 2020 just based on their trajectories of their career so far. So those are really important guys to watch this spring as well. Dan's going to have seven eyes. Dan's going to be watching them all is his answer. It's hard. I mean, it, it's so hard because, as Colin alluded to, you know, we typically only get to watch, you know, maybe a half hour. We, we, we haven't been told exactly yet, you know, how much availability we're going to get this spring. But, yeah. you know, it's not a full practice. It's typically only a few practices each spring. And you want to watch everybody, and, and you can't. So you, you you just try to you try to watch as much as you can. And you know, Colin and I, and, and you know, Zach Carpenter will be there with us as well. And we try to coordinate and try to make sure we're all watching different things. But it's it's so hard. A lot of times, you you, you leave one of those practices and you go damn, I forgot to watch this guy, or, or man, I wish I had looked at this. Or you read someone else's practice observations and go, well, I didn't see that. So I'm guessing what this other writer on the Ohio State beat observed is correct, but I don't know because I didn't see it with my own eyes. So it, it, it's very difficult. They, they purposely make it difficult for us because they don't want us to be able to tell you everything that they're doing in spring practice. But, uh, yeah, it's, we talk about all the guys we want to watch, and then you get out there and you just – try to watch as much as you can in a very short period of time. Yeah, and spring's impossible because at least in fall you have an idea of maybe I want to watch this spring you go and it's like, I want to know what all 85 guys are doing right now. <laughs> and you can't do that. Other guy I should mention, though, is Cam Martinez. Just because, like, where in the world is Cam Martinez? Well, he's not in, not here this spring. Well, so. I guess he's going to be in Muskegon, Michigan. Yeah, Colin's going to be going up to Mesquite. Apparently, I, apparently on the first day of spring practice, I'm going to be making an impromptu trip because I forgot that Cam Martinez is an early enrollee. Even it's okay. Though, I did it even on, I talked I did it like on National Signing Day. I tweeted that Cam was going to practice on both sides of the ball this spring, which was incorrect because he's not going to be there. But the first part of the tweet was correct. But Legend and I Cavazos think and Ryan Watts are going to be interesting to watch too because yes. they only have five returning scholarship <laughs> corners. So you're going to – Unless you bring in a transfer, you're gonna have a freshman on your two deep. So in a, in a normal situation, I would never really expect either of those guys to be competing for playing time in year one. And like this is a situation where it's like if they're competing for time and play in year one, and if they're like starting, something has gone wrong because the guys in front of them should be better than them right now. They should be starting, but. Like, who knows? We could go into camp and all of a sudden, like, Legend or, or Ryan Watts is just tearing it up. And that door is open for him. That yeah. door is open is for him. If, if open. they perform well in camp, they're going to have a chance to play as true freshmen. 
question time? Yeah, we want to talk a little uh, basketball, but we'll oh, get to, we'll get yeah, to your yeah. football questions first and then save that for the end. A few other questions here. Kay Bonet asked us about Jeremy Ruckert. He said, Jeremy Ruckert is obviously a stud tight end who came in, obviously is his words, a stud tight end. <laughs> I, I like Jeremy Ruckert, but I'm not going to say obviously. Ruckert is obviously a stud tight end who came in with an extremely high rating. Do you feel if Ohio State doesn't start targeting him more, that will hurt future recruiting at that position? I think that's a valid question, but I would also say that I think the damage has been done there. I don't, unless Jeremy Ruckert goes out and has a thousand receiving yards this year, which I, I don't think is is going to happen. I, I think the reputation that Ohio State doesn't throw the ball to its tight ends is already out there. I know that if I was a coach for another school and I was recruiting against Ohio State, that I would absolutely use that against Ohio State if they don't throw a ball to their tight ends. So I think it would take a, a monster year for Jeremy Ruckert to really change that perception. And just because of what precedent has told us and the amount of talent they still have at receiver, I'd be surprised if he had some you know 60-catch, 900-yard season. But... Absolutely, if a guy as talented as Jeremy Ruckert finishes this year with 15 catches or something like that, then that's absolutely going to hurt. Yeah, it's like, why do you get Chase Youngs? Because the Bosa brothers came through. It's like, you're not going to get the next, um, I don't know, Antonio Gates because... Uh, I know Gates played... Basketball I know, I know, I know. I knew that, that was going to go poorly. but. NFL Antonio Gates. All right, are we on the same? We're all on the yeah. same page here. Sorry, I didn't know who the number one tight end in the twenty twenty recruiting class was offhand, but I will get that next time. But the way I see it is, you know, like who have their guys been? It's like Joe Royer, an in-state guy who is relatively low ranked for for an Ohio State target. You have a you have a commit in twenty twenty one who is a three star prospect from Colorado. It's it's like what is he going to hurt their target in recruiting? I'm not sure he's going to hurt it. I just think he's not going to improve it if he just does the same thing that Jeremy Record has done. Um, Jeremy Record did last year. Um, like you said, damage has been done in a way. It's like people still want to play for Ohio State. They're not going to go out and get a five-star, high-end, four-star tight end every single year because people just know what Ohio State is, and that's fine. Ohio State has been pretty good with their tight ends, um, but no, I don't think they're going to get a Jeremy record every single year. Yeah, and we talked about it last week that you know I, I think they should throw the ball to Ruckert more this year. I think yes. they need to find ways to utilize him in the passing game because I do believe he's really talented. I think he's ready to take on that bigger role, and I think he can add a different dimension with, with his size, you know, his inside receiving ability. I think he can add a dimension that makes that passing offense more dangerous. But at the same time, they also still have a ton of talent at receiver. So I don't think they're going to force-feed Ruckert the ball, and I also don't think if you're Ryan Day or Kevin Wilson – that you can be game planning thinking, well, we got to throw the ball to Jeremy Ruckert four times today because we need to bolster our tight end recruiting. At, at the end of the day, you've got you've to call the plays that help you win the game. I, I do think that for the strength of Ohio State's offense, it would be in their best interest to throw the ball more to Jeremy Ruckert this year. But I, I also don't think you're going to force feed it. Next question from Lil Trouty. 
Who would you rather take home to meet your parents? Larry Johnson, Luke Fickle, or Mike Vrabel? Well, this one's easy for me because my dad is a diehard New England Patriots fan. So I think my dad would probably love to meet Mike Vrabel. So I don't think that's really what you're asking, but that's going to be my answer because the guy, my dad would definitely uh, love, to, love to meet Mike Vrabel. Yeah, that is the perfect answer for the uh, Dan Hope household. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, part of me is just like Larry Johnson just seems like my parents kind of guy. <laughs> but Mike Vrabel is Mike Vrabel, and I just want to see Mike Vrabel meet my parents. So I'm definitely going to pick Mike Vrabel. <laughs> as a, Mike, Mike, Mike Vrabel is probably – you know, not the guy if he was your girlfriend's dad that he'd probably intimidate you a little bit. Oh, that that would be the question is if if you, if your girlfriend's dad was one of these guys, who would who would you least like it to be? It's Mike Vrabel. <laughs> In it ain't even close. Yeah, it's, it's it's Mike Vrabel. He's 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 an intimidating he's an intimidating man. Uh, yes. Great coach. Uh, the, and I think that's part of why he's a great coach. But he's he's an intimidating guy. He is not a guy that you would want to mess with. Last question, again and juiced. What are the most hallowed numbers in Ohio State football history? One selection per category, offense, defense, overall. And Gen and Juice may not know this, but he is not talking to people who really are going to be just dialed in on this answer. Yeah, I was going to say, like, ask like uh, our Matt Guttridge this question. He would, oh he gosh. would be great at answering this. Um, Give it to Remy. Yeah, this is a this is a hard one. Uh, for me, I mean, I mean, I think the obvious answer is 45 with Archie Griffin. You know, I mean, that's, you know, you still see, you know, decades after he's played, you still see the, the 45 jerseys all over the stadium. So, you know, to me, I think that's the obvious overall offense, however you want to go with that. You know, I think, uh, you know, uh, we just, we talk about number changes with uh, Chris Olave. He's switching to number two next year. I think that's a, a pretty iconic number when you look at some of the guys who've had that position. Uh, Chris Carter, of course, J.K. Dobbins with number two last year. There's been a lot of uh, great players. I've heard of Chase Young before. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I mean yeah, it's really like offense, defense as well. I mean, I think number two is certainly up there. You know, number 10 for Troy Smith, 27 for Eddie George. A little 97 action. 97 for the Bosa's. 33 for James Laurinaitis. Uh, those are some of the ones that, that come to mind for me with admittedly not giving this a ton of thought. Yeah, I think 45 is the cool one because it's like, how in the world did someone so good wear number 45? And I maybe there's a story there, but I don't know. Well, I think part of it's just the era, too. Yes. Like, I think, you know, like, I think back then, 45, like where jersey numbers were not such a big thing. And now I sound like a get off my lawn kind of guy talking about. Uh, jersey numbers, but uh, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I mean, like, you know, I'll be disappointed if Justin Fields doesn't wear 45, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> that would be something, it would be something. I, I, I would think Archie would probably give Justin Fields permission if he wanted to wear 45, but that would be that would be interesting. That would be surprising. I'll cross my fingers I on think, that one. I think he will stick with number one. We have about 10 minutes left here, so I wanted to talk for a few minutes about Ohio State basketball because. The Buckeyes have now won five of their last six games, and I think we can finally put to bed the question of, is Ohio State going to make the NCAA tournament? Oh, I thought you were going to say, we can finally say Ohio State basketball is back. No. No. (laughs) I don't think we can say that. Okay. Okay. Just want to make sure. I think we can 
uh, unless they lose the rest of their games, they're going to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, it's um, it's a conversation. Uh, personally, I'm glad we don't have to have because I just feel like a lot of um, people who are who are more casual observers of the basketball team and sort of the, especially the ones who went through the law, the five losses in six games and were like, well, the program is just dead six now. Six and seven, actually. Or six and seven, yeah. Um, a lot of people were wondering how they're going to make the tournament. Well, they're going to make the tournament, and it's um, pretty clear right now. The I guess the, the one thing that can happen, if you want to just play like a disaster scenario, if they don't if they, if they don't win enough of their home games and they lose to Nebraska, and I don't know, if they win maybe one more game in the regular season, then I guess we can have the conversation I'm still pretty confident that that they're going to be in, regardless of, of of a total disaster scenario. But I'm for one. I'm just honestly, it's my main takeaway. I'm just glad we don't have to have this conversation again. Yeah, no, I I, I think you know we can move on now. Now, granted, with that being said, when we do this podcast next week, we could be talking about Ohio State being on a two game losing streak again because 100%. they've got yep. two big games coming up this week uh, against Iowa and against Maryland, who are both top twenty five teams. And you look at the rest of their schedule. I mean, Nebraska's the one you gotta win. You know, Illinois, I think, is a team you should beat. But you know, you know, Caleb Wesson probably said it best. Uh, uh, what is it? A win? A win in the tens? A, I don't even remember the exact quote, but it was a good quote. <laughs> <laughs> it was something like a, any win is good in the 10 or something like that. You get the gist. The gist is. The gist is Caleb Wesson calls the Big Ten the 10, and that's funny. Whether it's Chris Holtman, Caleb Wesson, you talk to anyone on his team, they recognize how deep and how challenging the Big Ten is this year. So they're going to appreciate every win. Even even if blowing a 20-point lead against Rutgers and only leading by three in the final minute is cause for concern for most people. They're not looking at it that way because they recognize how tough it's been to win in the Big Ten this year. They have won five of their last six. So I think at this point, at least temporarily, it's fair to say they've turned the corner at this point where, you know, the slump that they were in, I think they've broken out of that. You know, the rest of the way. I, I, personally, I wouldn't say they turned the corner. I think I think it's I think what what the second thing you said is is more accurate. I, I don't think really a, a corner has necessarily been turned. I think a corner has been peaked. Like I think, I think you can maybe see how they um, become the team that they want to become, and especially in the last game against Purdue. Like I think, I think that that was as important a game as, as really any they had in the stretch. For one main reason, it's really just the defense was the best defense that I think you have seen Ohio State play in two months at least. And I think you can make a case it was their best defensive performance of the year. Um, a little bit sneaky, and I know most people probably wouldn't think this just because of the way that the Big Ten is, and, and maybe you've seen Ohio State score. Ohio State's not exactly scoring in the hundreds in, in, in Big Ten play, but I, here, per Ken Palm, here are some of their their stats, just offense defense, because I think it's interesting. Like their 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 defense has has been sort of straggling behind their offense for the duration of the Big Ten. So their adjusted offensive efficiency is fourth in the Big Ten. Adjusted defensive efficiency is eighth. Effective field goal percentage on offense is first in the Big Ten. Effective field goal percentage defense is 10th. Three-point percentage in the Big Ten is first. Defensive three-point percentage is 14th. Like, those are some pretty stark differences. Um, and if you look up and down, like, I think it's just pretty clear that the defense hasn't been as good as, as Chris Holtman wants it to be. And I think when Chris Holtman came to Ohio State, you imagined that defense was going to be his calling card a lot of the time. And especially on this team where I think Caleb Wesson is a really good offensive threat. 
But around Caleb Weston, they're just questions. There's, a, there's, there's like, can, how can you get consistent play out of Dwayne Washington? Like, can Justin Orange be on the floor long enough to to become like the 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 consistent three point threat? Maybe you want him to be uh, without DJ Carton. What can CJ Walker be? Can Luther Muhammad consistently shoot the three? Uh, EJ Liddell maybe hasn't come on in the way that some people wanted him to offensively. You're never going to run plays for for Kyle Young. And so there are just a lot of questions of when when the when it gets a little bit tougher um, in, in, in a month and, and the Big Ten tournament starts and then you get into the NCAA tournament, you know I think that you're going to have to have your defense rise in a way that you just didn't see for about two months there, which to me was more worrisome than anything you saw on offense. Yep, I completely agree. I think I think if you're going to be able to win in the tournament, if you're going to win in March, you've got to be able to win games like the game against Purdue. I. I it, even though their offensive numbers have been pretty good, the reality is you still really only have one primary scorer in Caleb Wesson. And if he's off his game, it really, really hurts their offense. And so I think it's going to be crucial for them to be able to play good defensive basketball. I think if, if in March, if, if you're you know giving up easy freeze and, and, and you're forcing your offense to score a lot of points, I don't think that's going to be a recipe for success for Ohio State basketball. Yeah, and we've seen both against um, at home games against Wisconsin and Minnesota that like this is a team that when it got tough at the end of the game and it was close, their offense just didn't come through. And their defense just needs to get them in a position where – if the, where it's the defense that, that that needs to win the game rather than the offense, like this is not a team where it comes down to it, you don't want. If you're an Ohio State fan, you don't want the ball with two with two seconds to go down two points. That's that, that that's just an uncomfortable position for this team to be in, just because I, I just don't know if they have that guy. They don't have a Cassius Winston on their team. They have Dwayne Washington. They have Justin Arns. They have Caleb Wesson. These are, these, these are good offensive players. I think Caleb Wesson can be a great offensive player, but the guys around him, I don't know. You're not going to find that consistency that some other teams have. you got to have that defense playing at the level it did against Purdue. Buckeyes are on the road at Iowa on Thursday, back home against Maryland on Sunday. What do you think? Can the Buckeyes win at least one of those? I think a, a, I think you want to split out of these two. Like I think you're okay with the split. Obviously, you love to win them both. <laughs> That's stating the obvious. But I think that you're okay if you win one of them. They're both pretty hard. I think that the one thing I'll look at in Iowa, um, can this team defend a really good offensive team on the road? Because I just talked about the the offensive numbers. Iowa is first in the Big Ten in adjusted offensive efficiency. So they're going to be a huge test to, to an Ohio State team that really has, has struggled on the defensive end. And they're, they're a good shooting team, too. Ohio State hasn't defended the outside shot well. I, it, it's going to be a fascinating challenge. Also, this is Justin Arnn's time for revenge, baby. <laughs> had, uh, did, did he have 27 points against Iowa yeah. last year? So uh, No pressure, Justin. Yeah, Justin's been pretty hot shooting for free lately, so uh, we'll see if he can keep it up. We're about out of time for this week, so I want to thank you guys again for uh, listening to our breakdown of the defense. Hopefully we were able to answer all of your questions that you've asked, and uh spring football right around the corner so uh, next week we'll spend some more time previewing spring practices which begin on march 2 and you know probably talk a little bit about the nfl scouting combine as well since uh, 11 buckeyes are going to be in indianapolis next week and i'll be there as well so thanks again for listening in guys and we hope you tune in again next week